today's episode, The Origins of Indian Science Fiction. Hello, I'm Chris Alvarez, and perhaps you can't tell by looking at me, but I am a nerd. I've been a nerd for many years, and I'm good at it. In this show, I'd like to give you tips on how to be the most successful and well-informed nerd that you can possibly be. I speak with interesting people about cool things. Please join us if you're so inclined. This is Full Contact Nerd Interviews, and welcome. I'm speaking with Shiparno Banerjee, author of Indian Science Fiction, Patterns, History, and Hybridity, published by University of Wales Press, February 15, 2021. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you, Chris, for asking me to come. So, first, um, how did you get into um, studying and, and writing a book on Indian science fiction? Um, that's a that's a long narrative, and I'll be brief about that. <laughs> sure. Um, I am from India, mm-hmm. so I've been reading science fiction. So that has been my primary uh, reading material um, mm-hmm. from childhood, I would say, mm-hmm. and later developed into a more professional interest. So I, I'm, I'm coming at this whole thing, I would say, both as a scholar and a fan of mm-hmm. the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on, as I was doing my PhD, um, my, well, I, I should say this, that I've always been interested in various kinds of science fiction, not only Indian science fiction. So I was reading, and India has multiple linguistic tradition of science fiction. So I was mm. primarily reading Bangla or Bengali science fiction, mm. which is my first language. And then reading um, things in English, um, some stuff that has been translated from French and Russian. Mm-hmm. So various kinds of things like that. And I did want to pursue that as a more serious vocation. So I did my PhD with the focus on science fiction. Mm-hmm. So it was on Indian English science fiction, which further developed into an idea that, okay, if I've done it in English, um, if I've taken a look at the works that are produced in English language from India, mm-hmm. I should probably look at the larger scene. Mm-hmm. There's so many different um, traditions of SF or science fiction, and I should look at it, someone should look at it, and. It's not to say that nobody was examining these traditions or anything, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of discussion, critical discussion or work mm-hmm. going on, um, specifically in the sense of, let's say, with the approach of national literature or something that can be called Indian science fiction. Mm-hmm. Because there you have Bengali science fiction, Hindi science fiction, Marathi science fiction, English language science fiction, Assamese science fiction, so on and so forth. But um, I just wanted to see if I can find similarities, patterns, overlaps, connections. And uh, there we have that. That's that's what led me to writing the whole book, I think. Okay. How many? So within the different Indian language traditions, do they translate books into, you know, each other's traditions or, or I'm sorry, into each other's languages, I meant to say. That's a that's that's a, a very pertinent question. Yes, but not as much I would think they should, or I would expect they would. Mm-hmm. So there are 
translations, but I would say that there are probably more translations from non-Indian languages, like from English or primarily English, maybe a lot of translation from, um, of Jules Verne exist, mm-hmm. as you would expect in almost any culture. Right. Some from Russian, I also know from Spanish, and recently there is this um, Bangla science fiction webzine called Pobisho. They have been doing a great job mm-hmm. of uh, translating various different kinds of science fiction into Bangla. It's it's in Bangla, so they're translating from other languages. Mm-hmm. I would say cross-language translation within the Indian context exists, but not mu- maybe not as much as these. Mm-hmm. So you can find some works which has been translated from Hindi or Marathi into Bangla and vice versa. But I would not say that's a dominant trend. Maybe it would become mm-hmm. a major trend because people are taking note now. So I noticed, I'm um, just looking at the table of contents, um, you go back, you start, the history started in 1835, and, and that kind of surprised me, you know, um, going that, being able to go that far back with Indian science fiction. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes, surely. Uh, so before going that, I I should probably clarify my uh, approach here, because if you talk about Indian science fiction, many people would go back to the epics. Mm-hmm. So that would be a lot further back, a few thousand years back. Mm-hmm. But I started from the 19th century, unlike, and again, um, people can argue, they can have their own approach towards the genre. The genre is always fluid. There's nothing hard and fast that it has to be like this. Mm-hmm. But the, the reason I went back to 1835 rather than to the epics as the beginning of Indian science fiction is that I was primarily looking at science fiction as a genre that functions within, let's say, a natural universe rather than out of supernatural volitions. Okay. So that's that was one of my categories. Mm-hmm. And as you know, like genre boundaries are porous, and some people might argue it's not mm-hmm. should not be the only thing. Mm-hmm. Come to 18, uh, the early 1900s or mid 1900s, for that matter. 1835, um, Koilash Chandra Dotto's journal of 48 Hours. Um, that's the one that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the first works of Indian science fiction. A journal of 48 Hours of the year 1945. Mm-hmm. See the futuristic aspect even in the title. Mm-hmm. It's written in 1835. Uh, it's about the year 1945. So the reason I started there is that this is one of the first futuristic narratives which imagines specific events happening in the future. It's not necessarily futuristic in the sense of technological development or large social change or anything like that, but a huge um, novum there if I may use Suvin's word here, Darko Suvin's word, is that um, this is basically depicting a rebellion against the British, the British Empire. Mm-hmm. If you look at the date, 1945 is very close to 1947, when India was in, India became independent. Mm-hmm. So this one has this sort of prophetic 
um, vision, although in the story the rebels are defeated, but it focuses its action rather than the past or the present into the future. Mm-hmm. So that, that is something that, that was very new in, in the NSF. And going by um, some of the other works, if you think about Fadeh Bulgarin's um, in Russia, writing in Russia and other works which are focusing on the future, um, this kind of follows similar pattern. And very soon, within 10 years, um, Shoshi Chandra Dotto writes um, The Republic of Orissa in 1845, which sets the action in 1916. So again, in far future, not far, but considerably um, far future, where the state of Indian state of Orissa and nearby area becomes independent after a successful revolution against the British. Mm-hmm. So this revolutionary utopian quality that you often see in science fiction um, from, from one perspective does make these things a speculate, speculative works. Right. Get new possibilities, uh, bringing in novum, something that did not exist, but which was in the air. Obviously, at this, this, this time period, there's a lot of revolutionary activities uh, are going on. Mm-hmm or it will take on big, and it will take on a big dimension very near future in the um, 1850s. Was, at this time, was science fiction sort of a safe way to get into political ideas that might otherwise not not be allowed, in a sense? Um, I, I, I do think so, because if you look at both these works, they're written in English. They're not written in any other language. So if they are written in English, published in an English language journal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say to some extent, they probably work as this dissociating devices for the authors so that they don't get into too much trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really see anything like that for a, for a few years after, after these two okay. things. Um, we do see similar sort of utopian vision appear again early 19th century, but not around this period. We have some works of technology, journey, etc., coming up towards the end of the 19th century, mm-hmm. which I obviously I also talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Suparno Banerjee, author of Indian Science Fiction. You can find more information about his work on his page at Texas State University. If you like this episode of Full Contact Nerd Interviews so far, please tap the like button and hit the subscribe button. If you want interviews with writers and creative people or daily book suggestions in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, check out fullcontactnerd.com and my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want to hear interviews with military historians or get daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want to hear interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or get daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyandspace.com and my podcast, Technology and Space. All of my social media links are listed at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. So I also noticed that um, the idea of colonialism and sci-fi, um, that seemed to be something prominent in what you were studying. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so 
one of the premises of my book is that um, that um, Indian science fiction is it's I shouldn't call it a byproduct, but it emerged because of the interaction with the Europeans. Mm-hmm. The way it emerged. Maybe it would have emerged in different ways if it was not the encounter with the British. But what we have now as Indian science fiction, it, it emerges around during the colonial period. And one of my arguments is that this encounter, which I have mentioned as, a, as an alien encounter, and it has been a, mentioned or characterized as an alien encounter by, I think, Anil Menon, another um, prominent science fiction writer, um, some time ago, and I kind of caught on that, that the British are the other, the Indian encounter with the British. So Indian science fiction emerged as an alien encounter. Um, the few, there are many things to be said regarding that, I guess. But if we are, if we are looking at the 19th century works, mm-hmm. almost all these works show some sort of response to this colonial encounter. So the first two I just mentioned very clearly why it is a colonial encounter. They are rebellions, Mm -hmm. uh, millennial visions of the future. Um, The later part of 19th century gives us, again, possibly the first technological story. At least I think that's more or less agreed upon at this point. Mm -hmm. Its name is Rahosho. Uh, it comes out 1882. I'll just look at my timeline in the book to be certain. Um, okay, so 1882, Hemla Lotto's Rahosho, written in Bangla. Mm-hmm. And call it the first narrative of technology and automation. Mm-hmm. So 1882 is pretty much the time when we are also seeing the development of SF in US or UK or in France um, or in the Latin Americas as well. So it's more or less the same time when we're seeing development in science fiction all over the world, in Russia. Um, so we see sort of similar action here. And one describes an automated house in which our protagonist is, um, not, I shouldn't say trapped, it's his friend's house, but he's harassed by machines. <laughs> okay. And this happens in U- UK, in suburbs of London. He's a, he's a student in England an Indian guy, a student in England. Mm. He's friends with this engineer chap who invites him over to his house. And there he encounters all these machines and harassed. Mm-hmm. He runs away in the morning, basically. He's so kind of um, this uncomfortable. So, mm. so you see again a very clear connection with colonialism. Um, and the very fact that he was able to go to study in England obviously points towards his um, and he was a student. He was not um, not working some uh, at some lowly job or anything, which also points towards his privilege, possibly his privilege in the Indian society. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a colonial encounter. I also point at this educational system, the the colonial educational system, and um, introduction of the westernized discipline of science. Mm-hmm. Westernized because there are various epistemological concerns that we can bring up. But the colonial science, let's say, which produced drastic social changes, mm-hmm. one of which might be the 
Western looking Indian bourgeoisie upper class mm-hmm. and scientists, science education. So the couple of other works that we have, the very fag end of the 19th century are written by a famous scientist, mm-hmm. Jagodish Chandra Bushu, um, about a cyclone that was somehow disappeared um, in the Bay of Bengal, um, runaway cyclone, that's the translated as runaway cyclone, and it has been translated into English. Mm-hmm. And another one, A Travel to Venus, um, written by um, a science teacher, mm-hmm. a school science teacher, and who, some, Jogodarando Roy, was also an ardent follower and writer of scientific topics. Mm-hmm. It's published as part of a book of science, scientific writing. Yeah. So, so if you if you look at these, these are very much connected, directly connected to the colonial issues. A couple of other works published in Hindi around this time are, or they show very prominent if, uh, influence of Jules Verne's Journey to the Moon, um, Earth to the Moon, mm-hmm. or I would say um, Edgar Allan Poe's Hans Fall. Um, I think the, um, and there's a journey to the center of the earth. So mm-hmm. 1884, this is in Hindi. Pondit Ombika Datta Vyasa's Ashcharya Vrittant. So this one shows influence of for, um, journey to the center of the earth. And um, 1900, Keshav Prasad Singh's Chandraloki Yatra or journey to the moon. This one um, has been said that it just, is influenced by Verne's work, but I think it's probably more Poe's journey by balloon to, to the moon in Hans Fall. Mm-hmm. So this is translation coming in through translation, Western inf- influence of Western literature. So that's why I kind of start off as, or one of the main arguments of my book is that we so see this hybrid quality from the beginning it's 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 been a response to various kinds of influence of colonization. It's not necessarily following colonial direction uh, or other colonial pattern. It's often a tool for resistance, as we can see at the very beginning. It's a those were narratives of resistance, straightforward. And, and it, it keeps on going like that. There are many war stars coming up. We see influences of Wells, um, early 1900 SF. Um, possibly one of the first feminist utopias written in English language is also written in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, Begum Rokea's Sultana Stream, 1905, mm-hmm. predates Gilman's Harland by at least five years or so. Mm-hmm. So, these, that's why um, I kind of developed this idea when I looked at these things and then later on look at post-colonial writing, which keeps on showing some sort of um, relationship, not necessarily influence, that is, by influence, I don't mean that they are looking at the Western writings and are doing something like that. Right. A lot of the time, they're struggling with these sort of ideas and identities, often rejecting Mm-hmm. Western notions, um, resisting Western notions, and sometimes also accepting them. So 
you, you can see a constant uh, relationship that exists even now. Mm-hmm. Let me ask about sort of the period, say, I don't know, 1920 to 1960. You know, you in the U.S. we had, you know, you had serialized stuff like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, and then you had, you know, science fictiony comic books, and then all the pulp sci-fi books. Did did India start doing something like that too in that period, or India? Uh, I I I would say that the the whole pulp SF culture did not develop as strongly. It existed, and it exists, I should say, uh, around that time as well, but it was not as strong um, as what you would see in U.S., I guess, or even in U.K. But the the first science fiction magazine, it's called Ashtorjo, that came up, it was in 1963. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a little later, and I'd probably say it's more or less around the 60s and the 70s mm-hmm. when we see this, I shouldn't say outburst, but a lot of production of science fiction, mm-hmm. including, um, including the pulpy works, like like you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes serialized work. But but I would say science fiction series, the idea of series of some specific characters, adventure, and things like that, that started earlier. Mm-hmm. From the 1940s, we have possibly one of the most important SF series written by Premendra Mitro, um, the stories of Ghanada or tales of Ghanada or Ghanashita Dash. Um, it's, a, it's a series of stories starting from 1945, ending in the 80s uh, when Mitro dies. So it's a central character is Ghanasham Dash mm-hmm. as Ghanada by his flatmates he lives in a um, boys kind of like a boys hostel he's a bachelor possibly in the 40s or something unmarried guy and he tells stories these stories are tall tales but when you enter them it can be anything it it can be about black holes about aliens about um, genetic experiments in in different parts of the world fighting with um bad scientists and there are so many so it's a series of works pop pop culture series of works starting from the 40s and up to 80s and um, it's in bangla um the couple more important series starts in the 60s early 60s mm-hmm. professor shonku series stories of the scientist named professor shonku inventor um goes up into the 90s and shotojitre uh, is um probably better known in the West as a filmmaker whose script actually said to have influenced Spielberg's E.T. deeply. Hmm. Interesting. At, at some point, there was an allegation of theft hmm. of plot. But again, um, it remained an allegation. <laughs> yeah. so, so what is it, um, I, I think a lot of what you've mentioned um, you said it was written in, in originally in, in Bangla. And I'm curious, what, what region does that represent and why why is that so prominent? I, I would say that there are many language traditions. Um, and one thing that I've mentioned more than once in the book is that 
this is sort of a flawed encyclopedic attempt. Mm. Flawed because it has to be flawed. There are hundreds of languages in India. The 22 languages prominently um, highlighted by Shaito Academy, that letter, um, institution of letters in India as prominent literary language. Mm. I can read only three of them, including English properly, English, Bangla, and Hindi. A little bit I learned during, during this process, I trained myself to read uh, Assamese a little bit because it uses the same alphabet as Bangla. So I mentioned Bangla because I read Bangla. <laughs> okay. However, Bangla, Hindi, and Marathi are probably the most um, vibrant SFCs. It has been. Um, I mentioned all the works that I mentioned in 19th century. Most of them are written by Bengalis. The first two texts written in English, that too by Bengalis. Um, and there are only a couple of Hindi texts that's come out at the, towards the end of the 19th century. So it has taken root in Bangla fairly strongly from early on. It could be that um, if you look at the 19th century atmosphere, um, English education was, sorry, the colonial education system started taking root very firmly in Bengal province. It's the, towards the eastern part of India, which included the present country of Bangladesh, as well as the Indian state of West Bengal, Bihar, and Orissa and Assam. It was a huge um, state, um, maybe something like Texas in the U.S. Um, during the uh, British colonial rule. So again, I'm not a exactly sure about the scale, but it was a huge state. That's that's the that's why the comparison. So if you if you if you look at that, the root of education, um, which started taking uh, firm um, approval from the Bengali bourgeoisie uh, middle class, it probably shows why it would also start producing science fiction there. If there is a connection to be made between colonialism and science, emergence of science fiction in India. Mm -hmm. But then again, it spreads pretty quickly all over India. Mm -hmm. uh, and Hindi produces a lot of science fiction works. Marathi produces a lot of science fiction work. Um, probably presently Marathi has a very, very vibrant scene as is Hindi science fiction. Assamese produces science fiction works. But other than Bengali and Hindi, I think most of these, at, that, at least that's what I found, most of them started producing SF works from the early to mid 20th century. So, so a genre became a lot earlier in Hindi and Bangla. So I guess that's why we start, we keep on seeing these works mm. in these languages. Um, I should also mention 1920s and 30s also sees uh, magazine SF culture, not science fiction magazines, but SF being published in magazines, both in Hindi and and in Bangla, which is later on taken up by other languages. Let me talk about, um, let me mention, before the country was divided, you know, and you have Pakistan and India, was there much of a tradition? Do you go at all into what existed in the, what's, what was the region of Pakistan before the division? Um, yes. So, so here's the trouble of dealing with national traditions, right? What is the nation? Mm. So I do, do go into that in my introduction, that, and came up with this 
again, I, I don't, I don't argue that this is the only way of looking at it, but I thought it was more convenient way of looking at it. So um, I consider anything that was written before 1947 in the region known as India, which would con constitute Pakistan as well as Bangladesh, as Indian SF. But after 1947, I did not take any look, look at any of the stuff that is being produced in Bangladesh and Pakistan because it's it would be a different national tradition at this point after after 1947. Right. So I mentioned Begum Rokia, right, uh, as one of the earliest feminist SF authors. Um, so sh she is now claimed by Bangladesh as well, which was East Pakistan at the moment of divide. Um, so any pre 1947 text, I did not really. I, I did not, what I should say, uh, consider whether it can now be considered Bangladesh or Pakistan or India. I just took whatever being produced at that time. Right. Only after 1947, I focused on what is now in India, as well as Indian diaspora. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Well, let me uh, let me turn, just for time purposes, let me turn to um, how you did the research for this book. Um Obviously, there's a lot. It involves a lot of reading of just the fiction. But tell me how, your approach. Uh, yes. Um, so it's. I think doing research for any book is difficult, but specifically when you have so many languages to deal with. So that's the biggest difficulty. Um, so I did go to. I stayed in India for a few months um, when I was doing my primary research. I, I already had a lot of material even before that because it's uh, it didn't materialize only over two or three years, but I have been reading this stuff for my whole life. So that was that was the easy part, I would say. I'm my familiar with with this. But I did visit um, the National Library, which has some decent collection of works. I was going through there are lots of online resources, which was really great and people are very generous sometimes and again i do not should not necessarily condone this practice but if you if you if you look for materials which are unavailable at this point you may just come up on them as pdfs online mm -hmm. yeah. you see what i mean it's yeah. it's it's not condonable because maybe they're kind of getting out copyright material, but sometimes they're not available. The only thing that is available is there. Yeah. So come up with a lot of the stuff that way. But then again, um, I had to depend primarily on translation for mm -hmm. either into Hindi or Bangla or English uh, from many of the other languages that I've dealt with. Um, so I've included, I have primarily focused on Bangla, Hindi, English, but also Marathi. And Mar fortunately, quite a lot of Marathi fiction has been translated into other languages. Mm -hmm. So um, that gave me some of the texts. Some of the Assamese writing has been translated. Some Tamil writing has been translated. So I, was, I talked with um, people who read these languages, who work in those, um, or at least dealt regularly with SF written in those languages and got recommendations from them and uh, tried read tried reading as much as I could. The biggest problem is that there's very little critical works out there. Mm -hmm. So in many cases, I'll probably the, 
be the first one kind of bringing all of these things together. But in some other cases, there are, like for Bangla, there are critical works out there. Some Hindi works, some regarding some Marathi works, you can find some stuff. Um, there, there are, I, I shouldn't say there doesn't exist, but there are lots of works out there regarding Indian uh, English science fiction out there by many people. Mm-hmm. So it, it was absence of things was the most difficult, mm. specifically critical discourses. And also, fortunately, my, my, my family has been hoarding stuff for years, for 100 years, regarding journals and books, including this sort of, so that, that helped. I'm speaking with Suparno Banerjee, author of Indian Science Fiction. You can find more information about his work on his page at Texas State University. If you like this episode of Full Contact Nerd Interviews so far, please tap the like button and hit the subscribe button. If you want interviews with writers and creative people or daily book suggestions in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, check out fullcontactnerd.com and my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want to hear interviews with military historians or get daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want to hear interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or get daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyandspace.com and my podcast, Technology and Space. All of my social media links are listed at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. Do you Does the book focus just on writing, or do you get into movies and shows, you know, more modern stuff as well. Yes, yes. So it's from 1835 and ends in uh, 2019 when the book is written. Um, and I cover, tried to cover, again, it's not, as I mentioned, it's not an encyclopedia or doesn't claim to be a definitive history, but it tries to put those things together so that others can start looking at those specific language traditions. But it covers overall general covers every kind of science fiction that has been produced. So that would include movies, um, TV shows and everything. And try to, I've tried to show the connections between or how those fare, mm-hmm. how the movies fare, how the literary trends fare and so on and so forth. So yes, I do talk about that as well. How about um, more recently, the video game industry, do you get into any sci-fi video games made in India? I have not. Um, so maybe that could be something for the future that I should look at. Um, I know that some, some stuff are being made. Since I have kind of finished writing the manuscript, I've come up on some stuff, um, but I have not explored them, but I'm probably going to look at that in some sort of future work. So when was the big period um, in India when they decided you know, you said people have been translating stuff, but was there a, a time, a specific year or range where people said, you know what, we need to translate more of this sci-fi for, for more audiences? You know, was there a publishing house that got into that or anything like that? Are you, are you asking about the inter-regional language translation? Mm-hmm. Or, and, and translating stuff into English that may, may not have been before. Okay. Um, when you're talking about inter-regional language translation, it often happens that it's translated into English and maybe from there into other languages. So I would say in the 1990s, 
early 90s or something like that. Um, I can't definitively say that there nothing existed before that might have existed, but it's mostly around, mostly around the 1990s when we have inter-cultural um, translations that start appearing. Um, and even at that time, I would also say translation into English started. Mm-hmm. Um, and furthermore, I would say in recent years, last last five years or so, there there have been more translation of science fiction written in, in Indian languages into English. Uh, recently, to the twenty nineteen, the Golan's book of science fiction, South Asian science fiction, came out. It's an excellent collection, uh, which was which consists of primarily. English language SF, but it does contain, I think, six or seven um, science fiction written in regional language translated into English. Mm. So to answer your question, I think mostly around the 90s, and it is slowly gaining, I think, impetus, translation into English. Who, who are doing most of the writing uh, um, of these, this sci-fi? Is it, is it scientists who want to you know, write, or is it more <laughs> literary types who delve in into science? Um, I would say both times, both times. Um, just to give you a, an example, um, one of the most well-known um, SF auth- Indian SF author who writes in English primarily is probably Vandana Singh. Who has, um, and she's a physicist, theoretical physicist, but she's, an, she's also a wonderful author. If you just look at the, the way she writes, she's a wonderful author and she's a physicist. There are others who kind of fill that gap. But we also have, let's say in Bangla, Shishendu Mukherjee, or Mukhopadhyay, Shishendu Mukhopadhyay, who is a mainstream, major Bengali author who writes literary fiction and uh, young adult fiction. He has also written a lot of science fiction works. So I would say it's both. Jayant Vishnu Narlikar, another major, major uh, SF author, is another highly regarded astrophysicist who was, uh, along with Sir Fred Hoyle, created the Hoyle-Narlikar continuum theory of gravity. So major scientist, major author in science fiction. But then again, you have Shottajitre, who's a filmmaker, who's a author of genre fiction and so on and so forth, who writes, wrote science fiction at one point. So mm-hmm. I would say there are all types of people who are doing these things. There, there are both kinds of people who are doing these things now, writing science fiction now, and um, that has been the case. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, obviously you, you love sci-fi. Was there p- part of this research that really, that you enjoyed the most do- while doing it? I, I would say rather, other than only probably being frustrated, not finding a source, I enjoyed the most almost all the stuff, mm-hmm. uh, possibly reading the stories, mm-hmm. possibly reading the stories. That's, that's the most enjoyable part, but finding something new, finding something new is also very, very enjoyable. That's, okay. I found this thing. I was trying to find this before. Didn't, but this is something new. I can talk about this. Uh, that's definitely the thrill of discovery, I guess. But, um, but more than that, I would say just reading, reading the stuff. Did, did you get to interview any of the people who are currently um, or recently wrote sci-fi or, or created sci-fi in India? Uh, yes, I did talk to some of this, some of these people. Um, um, 
And so they often help me think about, like I mentioned Anil Menon, um, who has written some very good SF novels and short stories. Um, talked with him and he kind of gave me some good resources um, as well about um, translated science fiction from Tamil. Um, and I've also talked with some other people at various stages of my research. Do you know if, uh, so you mentioned also writers, Indian writers who are part of the Indian diaspora. Do you, do you see any, any issues with any of them connecting more with the nation in which they are rather than being an Indian writer of sci-fi? You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And I've taken that, um, I have considered that. So um, I, I think um, the reason I decided to include Indian diaspora is that um, in most of these writings, you do get a very clear sense of, I shouldn't say Indianness, but Indian elements present clearly. Mm. Um, so I did not see any reason for not including them if they're including that sort of elements in there, right? Um, I, I, I think it does not take away their identity of being, let's say, an American author. They can be both at the same time. Mm -hmm. They can be an Indian American author, Indian diaspora, but they can also be an American author or a British author at the same time. Mm -hmm. So my, for my purposes, it, it did make sense when I was looking at many of their writings, um, there are lots of very clear connections that this is rising out of um, Indian cultural base. Are there, um, how much do the, the writings from any of these eras um, take from Hind or Indian religious tradition? Oh, that's a, that's a major, um, major issue. I have a whole uh, half the chapter on that. Uh, some, some would, that, that's a, I think that's a very big issue to discuss, but let me put it in short. Um, a lot of Indian SF, not all, but quite a number of them, deal with um, myths, mm -hmm. primarily Hindu myths, uh, whether as a device of subversion or whether as uh, reinterpretation or reestablishment. There are all sorts of things going on, but it does have a major, major role to play, mythical tradition. Mm -hmm. But let's say one thing, just think about how any kind of literature is created. There's always some sort of cultural base. And we do see regular allusions to Christian tradition as well as Greco-Roman tradition or Norse tradition, Norwegian tradition in Western science fiction or literature in general, not necessarily, not necessarily overtly condoning or establishing or reinterpreting. Mm -hmm. I would say those, these mythical Indian mythical traditions are in the fab fabric of the society. So if you are, to write something, you might very easily slip into that sort of references. So there, there are many ways of looking at this. So if the if that is one of those, if those are one some of the major big cultural bases, people would obviously fall upon them mm -hmm. in what to create in order to create the narratives. But there are some for whom these religious or mythical traditions becomes 
a tool for exploration of possibilities. Um, for some, some time it becomes to tools to establish some sort of Hindu nationalism and sometimes to undercut that Hindu nationalism. But we do see a major, major presence of myths in the Indian as a tradition in what, the languages. What, what else maybe that we haven't mentioned would you point to as, as a marker of Indian science fiction is some cultural marker or, or some something? Um, I, I, I would say, like, you know, the, the two things that I mentioned, or rather we just discussed, one is a very acute awareness of its relationship to the West. Hmm. At some point, as a colonial um, oppressor, at some other point after after the independence, I would say, um, obviously not the colonial other, but something, some some power, some imperial imperial power that um, has an oppositional um, quality to Indian tradition. We often do see that a lot of the time in Indian language SF. By that I mean not English SF. But you also see a very strong hybrid quality of hybridity, which brings into their narrative universe influences and ideas from Western traditions, not necessarily literary or transfictional, but also about um, many other things like science and technology and merging that with the local traditions. So we have both kinds of reaction. At some point, it's oppositional. At other point, it's a hybrid. It's more and more hybrid these days, specifically in the English language. As if from India, we do see a hybridity um, outnumber the oppositionality in that sense. But also, even in hybridity, there's often this subversive quality. Like we are taking with these Western influences, but undercutting their original purpose. We often see that. I think Amitav Ghosh's Calcutta chromosome is probably one of the best examples of that sort of idea. This, this merger, this constant um, hybrid existence, I think is one of the major um, qualities that we see in Indian science fiction. That is not to say that every time you pick up a book, you will see that, but um, that is very dominant. Um, and other than that, the majority does present or does create or build a world which is marked by Indian cultural references, very clearly marked by Indian cultural references. Have you, have there been any, um, just thinking of the Indian diaspora, any Indian sci-fi writers uh, living who, or who had lived in the Middle East, the Caribbean, or Africa? Um, I have not found them, but it doesn't mean that they don't exist. Hmm. It's only that I, I have not um, read or found anything about um, that. Primarily, I th I've seen um, Indian American authors and some British Indian and mostly that. But um, I know that some there some Indian authors um, who live in other European nations. Um, there are, I think, Singaporean Indian authors and so on and so forth. It might be just I didn't find them. Was there, what did you come across that most surprised you? It could.
be that uh, that there are so many kind of so many languages in India that produces SF. I think that's that's probably the biggest surprise that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that something that I was not aware of from between the 1910s and 1950s, that there are actually quite a lot of people who are writing science fiction works in India. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I did, so that's, that's why it surprised me. Um, and, um, but then there are like small surprises like that here and there. But I think the big couple of the biggest was that, that so many Indian languages actually produce science fiction. That, that itself was a surprise. I shouldn't say surprise, um, but that I was able to find them. That was the surprise. Mm. Um, and that, that between the early 1900s produced the number of SF it produced. That was, I wasn't expecting that many. But there were quite a quite a lot. So, so you did mention that uh, you know the book does have sort of a narrow focus based on certain constraints. Um, but within that that focus, was there a particular issue that you really wanted to sort of figure out, get an answer for that maybe you finally did after a lot of effort, or you'd still love to know, you know, about some something? Well, one one should I should should. I think I should say that um, in every chapter of this book, which is kind of based on starting with a historical overview in general, that's the first chapter. Then the most interested I was about the topic in the second chapter, which is about the epistemic traditions, the different sorts of knowledge base from which the authors are coming, creating their texts. So. So I don't, I, I don't think there's a specific answer that I had from there. I was just looking at what are the, how many do we find and how are they dealing with that? That was the most fascinating part for me because I did find obviously science as in the commonly understood sense of Western sense of science, technology science. Um, on the other hand, you have something that has often been called Vedic science mm. uh, um, that has been an idea championed by Hindu nationalists for a long time, even now. <laughs> so that, that, that holds a pretty prominent position. And, and there are so many kind of other smaller, um, by smaller, I mean localized traditions of knowledge, subaltern knowledge, um, only local knowledge. So I would, I would keep an eye out for that, how many different kinds of those ideas that I can find and how they, constitute the zero world of the author. Because every time, if you think about any sort of literary creation or artistic creation comes from a zero world of the author. By that, I mean, it has some sort of relationship with the author's world. How does the author perceive the world, according to me, is based on this epistemic epistemic orientation. and if you are taking these various positions regarding the world that you're coming out of, that influences the way you construct the narrative world. I would say that was the most fascinating part for me um, of the, the different kind of approaches that I saw. And uh, I think the idea that I mentioned earlier, myths, the pre- preponderance of mythical references, I think that comes out of this mythical worldview that often is prominently present 
in many of these authors' writing. So that is something I would further develop. In fact, I am writing an essay on Shishan Nukopadha's science fiction. For some reason, it fell. I'll just take it out. The set collapsed. <laughs> uh, uh, and in, in Mukhopadhyaya's works, um, we do see a wonderful interaction of that sort of uh, across the epistemic position. So that is something I'm really fascinated with and will probably look at more. So this kind of work is, you know, you're probably not going to have emotional impacts necessarily from what you're looking at. But but is it did you come across anything that did move you emotionally, either positively or negatively? I, I should say this thing. I just, I think I don't get emotionally moved a lot. <laughs> I even emotional narrative. So I can't really say if it, if anything moved me emotionally, but, um, I, I am really happy with the number of stuff that are being produced. So, so that, that people are paying attention. Um, people are writing science fiction. New books are coming out, um, both in English language as well as in other Indian languages like in Bangla or Hindi and translations are happening. Critical works are being written. This, this is, uh, this was actually, this book, my book was actually uh, released in UK in November or end of October, 2020. So 2020 produced two critical works on Indian science fiction. This one, and there's another one, uh, Final Frontiers, which was taking a look primarily at Bangla science fiction. Um, published by Liverpool University Press. Um, that was oriented towards Bangla science fiction, but this is probably the only work that exists that tries to encompass um, the entire national tradition. But you have two. And I know there's another book coming out by Sami Ahmed Khan, who is also a wonderful science fiction author in the sense of like, he has published two novels. Um, I think two novels, yes. Um, and his book on Indian English science fiction is coming out. So that makes me happy as a person who is highly interested in the field, invested in the field, that um, it's continuing to grow. I think that's, that's probably, if you're looking for an emotional response. Oh, so that's, that's probably it. That works. Um, are, who are the big, uh, does India have big uh, publishing houses or publishing houses that focus on sci-fi the way the West does? Um, I don't think there's any specific house that specializes in science fiction, but, um, as I mentioned, like Golans has published now this, then you have, I believe Hatchet India has published some, um, NBT, which is National Book Trust actually has published quite a few science fiction, um, translated from other languages. The, the translation culture that I was mentioning mm. has published quite a few translated works. Um, but I don't think there is any specific publishing house that specializes in science fiction, um, at least not to my knowledge, which is not necessarily to say that I'm aware of all the publishing fields there. Okay. Um, did you have any difficulty getting this book finished or, or getting it published, getting a publisher? Uh, no. Um, not actually what I would say that um, um, the series editor was suggesting that I should finish writing this book <laughs> as soon as possible and bring it to them. So 
Patrick Sharp, the series editor for um, New Dimension in Science Fiction or UWP. And um, they were wonderful to work with. Uh, they're supportive and uh, very positive. So the publishing process was actually very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I don't think everybody says that, but this is the case definitely here. Wait, so did, um, were you approached to do the book based on people knowing about your research or did you pitch it to someone? No, I, I, because of my already existing research, I think. Okay. I wouldn't say I was, it, it was sort of a conversation between me over the couple of few years with the series um, editor, uh, Patrick Sharp, and he said, like, you should, you should do this. Like, you should finish this and write, make a book about it because um, my uh, work on Indian SF have been out there for, for I think for a decade now. So people have read it, have presented mm -hmm. in conferences. So he encouraged me to finish this thing and did. Okay. And what's your, um, your current writing project? So I'm working on um, on a book chapter on Shishendu Mukhopadhyay, the one that I was just mentioning a little earlier. So that's one, and then then there is another one on a post-national trend in Indian science fiction for a journal. But something that I'm thinking about, maybe a little, little larger in scale, could actually be a translation project that I'm kind of it's still very vague. I'm thinking about maybe early works, which has not been translated into English. Um, I read Bangla and Hindi. I was thinking about maybe trying to collect some of those short stories, translate them, and then think about publication. So that might be a bigger project um, back there, but it's it's definitely in my head. So I, I should mention that. So when you read science fiction, do you have to, do you read, if you have ideas, if you're reading it and it gives you ideas you know, at an academic level, at a research level, do you force yourself to finish reading what you're reading to enjoy it? Or do you, you know, stop and take notes constantly as you read? I, I always finish reading first. Let's <laughs> yeah. finish reading first. In fact, I'm not really a note taker. Even when I was doing my research, I, would, I have very few notes <laughs> when writing books. And a function kind of if I, I just remember stuff, it's mostly in my head, notes in my head. Okay. So yes, I finished reading and then go to write something. Mm -hmm. What, uh, and I don't want this question to maybe get you in trouble in any way, but what's your favorite, your favorite sci fi either? Well, first, your favorite Indian sci fi, and also is that the same as your favorite overall sci fi, or is it something different? Um, again, it's a very difficult question to answer because I don't have a specific uh, work that I can point at as my favorite, but there are quite a few. Um, in no order of preference, what comes to my mind, now I can just mention some of the, some of the ones that I like a lot. I like um, from, if I start with Indian writers, um, I like Vandana Singh's works a lot. Um, her distances is one of my favorite, but then again, there are other works. Um, then um, I like uh, Premendra Mitro's works, the one that I mentioned earlier, Conrad, writer of Kannada. I like his works a lot. Um, and um, again, there, there are so many. Uh, Calcutta Chromosome by Amitav Bush, that's one. And gosh, there, there's, there's so many to mention. So these would be something that just popped in my mind at this moment. Yeah. Uh, but I... I read a lot of Russian, 
science fiction as well. So I would say Strugatsky Brothers is again some some of the some of Strugatsky Brothers writing is are my favorite. So um, Roadside Picnic would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, Stanislaw Lem Solaris, that's another one. I like Ursula Le Guin a lot. Left Turn of Darkness is one of my favorites. Um, and Ian MacDonald's um, River of God, which is set in India. It's a wonderful novel. Um, again, as I said, they, these are some that's coming to my mind at this moment. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there are so many more. <laughs> but do you prefer uh, reading uh, to watching shows and, and movies, or do you balance it out? I would say I balance it out. Um, I like um, best movies a lot as well as reading them. Mm-hmm. Not so much maybe TV shows. Um, I, I shouldn't say I don't like it. I just don't didn't get an opportunity to watch them a lot. But although I, I finished all seasons of Expanse recently, which <laughs> <laughs> right. is really great. Um, but um, I, I like it in all forms. Mm-hmm. That's that's probably the best way of putting it. Okay. Okay. So where can, can people find you online to follow your thoughts or updates on your work? Um, I'm barely active on social media. So for a person who works with te- I, technology and stuff, conceptually, I'm not really that much active online. But I do have a following. Like I, I do have a presence on Facebook uh, under Shubhan Banerjee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a Twitter handle, but I don't even remember what it is. Because yeah, okay. it's so <laughs> little. Um, but I, most of my research work are kind of listed under my profile on my Texas State University website faculty hmm. uh, page. So it's there if anybody um, wants to look at it. Um, and I think some of those articles are also linked to um, text and stuff like that. Okay. So that would be the easiest way to find me and uh i it also has my email and stuff like that and i'll spell your name for uh listeners it's s-u-p-a-r-n-o last name b-a-n-e-r-j-e-e is that correct that's correct yes all right all right um okay um that's all the questions i have do you have any um parting thoughts or words Read more Indian science fiction. Yeah, they're 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 great works. Um, a lot of these are available, which was a case, uh, not the case a few years ago. I think a lot of these works are now being available in the West. Um, and again, I think probably the target primary target audience is located in the West. That's that's what I'm saying. Um, many works are being translated now, so it would become even more accessible. Um, there, are, there are lots of great stuff out there. So I would just say, just read them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Get a different flavor of, of sci-fi. In a sense. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for inviting me. In the next episode, I speak with David Church about modern horror films. Hit the subscribe button to catch that episode. Thank you for listening to Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want more interviews with writers and creative people, or to get daily fiction suggestions including sci-fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, sign up for my newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com and follow me on Chris Alvarez Full Contact Nerd on YouTube and Chris Alvarez FCN on Facebook and Twitter 
Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi on Instagram, and this podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want to hear interviews with military historians or get daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org and follow me at Warscholar on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, at Chris Alvarez Warscholar on Instagram, and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want to hear interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or get daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyinspace.com and follow me at Spacewalks Money Talks on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Spacewalks MT on Twitter, and my podcast, Technology and Space. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you again soon. Keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.